0: Thing is, Butler's old and fat and he will be dead someday. So that's the downside of his marketing. You market a personality. He didn't say old and fat. He's a much better guy than that. But he did point out that, hey, he's going to be dead. And that's the downside of this. Of the personality. Yeah, yeah, the trouble with personality branding is that once that person's out of the picture, so goes the marketing. that goes as well. So I'm not in it. You know, I'm in it. I got to keep doing it. But yeah, there's a limitation to it. It's true.
1: You know what I think about is like in Vegas, you've got like, Celine Dion who's a like a personality and so she makes a ton of money when she does her shows and then you got the blue man group well the blue man group you can swap people you don't swap even know who men. they are yep. swap it so if you think about like they're blue well, they're, they're just blue men They're, just, just, they're you know, blue. and you're like a, okay they, I think they, some they, of them are women now too I don't even know women. so like reality is that that's a business that those guys can step out of and it can still be running shows in Vegas where as soon as Celine Dion stops that's it the most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today is actually an episode I did with Ron Butler from the Angry Mortgage Broker podcast. It's a YouTube channel. It is freaking hilarious. And I was visiting Ron in his office and I said, we should record this, Ron. And he's like, let's go into the podcast room. And so we just sat down and shot this thing and ron put me in the hot seat asked me a whole bunch of questions and we've broken this into three segments and in this segment i talked to ron about how i opened a brokerage and said i never would do it why we don't pay any attention to what other brokerages are doing and i talk about marketing your personality versus marketing your brand also on this episode i talked to jeff hill from surex about three things every mortgage broker needs to know about property insurance and so Obviously as mortgage brokers, property insurance is something you need to have and understanding a little bit more about it will help you be a better broker. Before I jump into that, I'm gonna give a shout out to our title sponsor Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. It's very easy for borrowers to use. It's got some cool features. One of them is smart submission notes. So once the app comes in and you get ready to hit submit to the lender, it actually pulls key data from the application so that the lender's notes, it helps you build them. One of the things you may not realize is that every lender is a different back in portal what they see is not what you see and sometimes it's interesting if you actually sat down in your lender's office and saw what it looks like on their side you'd be like wow this is nothing like what we have and having good notes is actually a massive advantage for helping you get files funded quicker and also just more approvals check them out at lenders.com finmo and check out this conversation i had with ron as well as jeff hill
0: i'm here with scott peckford this is a special edition of the Angry Mortgage Show, super special edition. It's almost incredible coincidence, and also very fitting that the first actual guest on Angry Mortgage is Scott Peckford, who has had me on his podcast so many times. You know, the truth is, Scott's the original. He is the OG. He's the guy who brought podcasting in the mortgage business to Canada in a big way. He's done everything. He developed the number one sort of big range, big participation Facebook site, People communicate that on every day. There's actually a guy at every major lender assigned to read that stuff on I Love Mortgage Brokering Facebook group. Like every single day, somebody's right. assigned to Just look to at Just keep an it. eye on to Make sure that an eye reputational eye that. and answer all that questions. Stuff. Yeah. All that stuff. But Scott did all this. Scott had a training company, a coaching company, and now has had developed a mortgage brokerage. And as he constantly says in his podcast, I planned on never having a mortgage brokerage in yeah. my life. It was the thing I didn't want to do. Okay. Yeah. And here we are with bricks. Yeah. All right. This is a special edition. This is we're going to call this the inside mortgage brokering podcast because for the average person, average consumer, this is all just inside stuff. Right. Okay. But we want to get it out there to the mortgage brokerage community because it's pretty damn interesting. And like I said, it's a it's a real ironic but interesting thing that Scott's the first guest on the pod.
1: So. Right. It was just random because I came to visit you and you said, hey, come on, let's chat. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. So, Only upside
0: of having a studio ready to go every minute, right? So. Right. And it took you like 60 seconds to get set up. So perfect. Look, it took about 9, 10, 12 months to just to get it going. Right. <laughs> was the, you, you do everything a lot faster than I do. So my first question for you is, like, I have been thinking about this a lot. Since I listen to your podcast all the time. Is right there on the podcast all the time. You didn't want to open a mortgage brokerage. No, sir. And then you did. Yeah. So exactly how did that happen? We'll spill the details. So
1: happened. for the last six years, so we're in the mortgage brokers business since 2006. In the last six years, I've been doing training in mortgage brokers, which I quite love. I love the coaching business. And I never coached rookies. I was like, rookies, I don't want to coach. Nothing against rookies. We do it lots now. But at the time, I was like, failure rate's really high. There's a lot. Like, I'm good at, I think I can coach on sales and marketing, but underwriting and stuff I knew is not my specialty. And so I created a program, but I had so many rookies reach out. I thought, I'll just do an experiment. Let's see if this works. And I ran a program for training rookies through that training company and it kind of worked. It worked for some of the folks, but not a lot of them because they didn't have great underwriting support. So they'd go find leads and they'd have a great mentor and the mentor could have lots of experience. But if the mentor was busy, they could wait a day or three or five. And then they're like, okay, I got a lead. But now that they're gone because my mentor hadn't got back to me. So I thought if we're going to properly support rookies, we need to have underwriting support, which means either the fee is going to be really high, which means very few people can afford it. Or we just create a brokerage and say, look, if you're successful, we'll be successful. Like we'll become partners in it, if you will. So we bring people on, do 10 mortgages, 50-50 split, and then you just go wherever you want to go. That was the plan.
0: Right. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I was like, this will be great. It's a training company that's baked within a brokerage so that we could provide the support and do the underwriting. And the way that we solve the mentor model is we have underwriting coaches sitting in a live Zoom room 40 hours a week, which would be a challenging thing to do. And they get hundreds of visits a week, like the number of visits they get. But people come in with a file. They, hey, what do I do? You come up with some documents. And so they can hang up that phone, even this rookie who doesn't know anything really about mortgages, go into a room with somebody who's got 10 years experience and they can punch above their weight class. So they're able to compete and win files that they probably wouldn't have because of that level of support and it worked but then the challenge was is that the rookies initially they didn't want to leave i was like shoot i didn't consider that because i'm (laughs) my 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 wife always says that i'm she'd call me scottistic right she's like you don't think about the the human side like all right so they didn't want to leave that was one thing and then the second thing was is that some of my friends who do big volume were like hey i want to join your brokerage and i'm like well you're not going to it's going to have to look different. It can't. Yeah, you know, 50-50 ain't going to work. They're not yet. going to come. So then I had to really think about what would a brokerage look like that I would join if I was still sure. brokering. So that's how I got into it, even though I was backed into it inadvertently because I was still trying to solve the problem of training. I wasn't actually trying to solve the problem of a brokerage
0: to start. Okay. But anyway. So to sum up, develop now to recruiting brokerage, you want to add people. Yeah. Okay. And you've been successful at it. And if I was to summarize it, I'd say that your unique selling proposition is that while everybody else promises training and promises development and promises support and promises somebody who's going to look at your file right away to try to help you out, Mr. Mrs. New Person, Mm -hmm. it's normally bullshit. You were very kind about it. You said, "Oh, mentors just busy," but also half the time it's just bullshit. They say that yeah, they might have a great big library of videos to watch, but that's not really training you and I know that people, right. people have to be situationally walked through what's going on you can't really
1: especially underwriting you cannot learn that from a book you can't learn it from yeah. a broker kit you've actually got to have real files it's like driving a car you can't learn you got to get in the car drive you know and learn and this is, I believe the same thing with underwriting you really have to learn it file by file because they're all so different and you can't remember all the policies like there's certain nuance to the policy that you'll only remember when you get burned on a file and you're like oh my gosh I just lost this file or I screwed it up it now it's you've got that lesson but you can't get that from a video or a broker kit
0: no or, no 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 or it's, anything so I mean, yeah. there's some things you have to do by doing it you have mm-hmm. to learn by doing it physically doing it it's the only way you remember okay so it's grown yeah and it's taken off and it's not just a new flash in the pan thing anymore it's established and you're pissing off a bunch of other brokerage owners okay I,
1: I, yes i've heard that's, I've that's heard that. well that.
0: you i think some of them have actually told you they were yes too right yeah. all that stuff so now that you're Kind of deep into it how do you assess the reaction of other brokerages to what you're doing i mean how would you sum it up i don't pay attention to
1: them at all the only thing i think about is what do my agents need i think if i obsess about our agents our rookies and our pros then competition is like i know that some of people have adjusted their model great. some people will not i don't care like i don't pay any attention to them all i think about is what do my agents need and I, we were talking about this before we came in here this whole idea of fulfillment which I don't know if you want to talk about that, but the way I think of our company's mission is like, how do we help our agents increase their revenue per hour? All the decision-making filters, the leads, not awards, is like, how do, if I can help them increase their revenue per hour, whether it's, I want to do more volume, cool, or I want to work less hours, but like what kind of structure can we have in place? That's what I think about. If we can do those two things, then we'll have no problem growing and we'll have no problem keeping agents.
0: Okay, we'll talk about fulfillment, but you've actually brought me to the point of something that I've been thinking about a lot for the last year. Back in the stone age, when I started in the mortgage business, we used to...
1: the stone tablet and you'd like
0: bang out the No, no, side. we... There's not, you and not Boris? That, not that bad. But like what we did was we would go to the place where they were killing sheep and you, then you would get the skins and then you would put really oh, thin, okay, yeah. thin them right out. That's called vellum. Okay. yeah And then we'd hire a monk to write the mortgage application in on the vellum. So that's quite a while ago. You're right. But I haven't thinking about this. When we started the mortgage business, everybody started in the same way that you joined a brokerage, you apprenticed at that broker, effectively apprenticed, but you were on your own. They would give you some training, weekly meetings. They would give you some mentorship. Maybe business cards they throw in. Maybe business cards. You know, we won't bother talking about the splits because it's like 28 years ago. There's no point in talking about it. But big thing about it was the goal, the absolute goal was to bring each person up to the point where they were an extremely knowledgeable mortgage professional where they could handle any file. It didn't happen overnight. It took years, yeah. okay? But they could handle any file. Now, they might not do commercial. They might not do development. But any residential mortgage that came their way, any size, shape, every aspect of it, they could do. They understood it. They understood underwriting. They understood what it took to get a file funded. They understood all the problems that could happen when a problem came up in the finishing of the file and getting the file to close. They knew exactly how to handle it. The other concept really was that the goal would be to turn the person into a consummate pro. Yeah, Didn't always work, but that was the theory of brokerages that we would have, we were finished with you starting as a mortgage agent, starting at the beginning of your career. When we finished with you, you would be just a gem, pop-notch operator, understood everything about the business backwards and forwards about yeah. residential mortgages. Yeah. And let's face it, it was easier back then Way easier, back in Way easier. Like, like way
1: easier. Yeah, underwriting was easier. Everything was simpler that way.
0: But it still was the goal. Yeah. It was the goal that we would end up with this consummate mortgage professional. Today, as I talk to brokerage owners, not just you, but tons of them, that's kind of disappearing. That's being replaced by, we want to develop excellent tactical marketers who can find leads, Mm -hmm. can find possibilities of mortgage applications, can bring in an application. Then we're going to turn it over to a different group of people. We're going to analyze it, underwrite it, and figure out what the best result would be for the client. How does this application fit into mortgage world? What's the best deal? And that specialist would then go back to the marketing person who's a mortgage agent and say, here's your best option. We figured it out. This is what it is. This is the right mortgage for these people. And that's what you should present. Okay. And then still, again, another additional layer of to say, once the client's agreed, yes, I'll take it. Yes, this is a great solution for me great mortgage solution, that we would then turn it over to another group of people who would finally collect all the documents, work with lawyers, work with appraisers, work with the lender, and get that to the point of actually funding that mortgage, okay? Mm -hmm. So this is now becoming something radically different than the true mortgage expert, that the person who understands every microscopic detail of a mortgage and can answer every question, seen it all, knows everything. We're now going to not have that anymore in a real way we're going to have people who are just great tactical marketers they can find people find situations create referral sources do all kinds of positive stuff like that Mm -hmm. but in the end that's all they got they don't really thoroughly understand the underwriting mortgages that's where i see the trend of the last two years what are your thoughts on that well i think that that's
1: not new like if you know you probably know GenCorp. they've been doing that for years so Mm gen is based out of calgary and they've had a underwriting hub and basically salespeople who would go out and find business and some of them could barely spell mortgage but they were great with people and they wouldn't mm-hmm. figure out what to do with it there's probably the reason i think that that's becoming more prevalent it's just becoming more complex like underwriting is not like as we both know it's much more challenging than it was with all these new regulations insured insurable like the complexity there's a lot of complexity to underwriting And so I could see why there's movement towards that. Now, I think that personally, you know, other than the rookies that we want to train, we'll tell them all the time, we're going to teach you how to fish. We're not going to fish for you. We're not going to be your fishing. I get it. And so I think that as a broker, your job is selling and strategy. I don't know that if you want to be good at selling, look at Jim Terlucas. He's good at both. He can sell and he understands the strategy of the technical aspects of the products. And you could convince somebody to work with you, sure. And I think you can build a business. There's many ways to build a business. You have one way, there's another mm-hmm. way. I personally think that you need to have some you know, technical knowledge. You don't have to do all of it, but you do need to understand it to be able to communicate it to a client. I could be the wrong. Guy,
0: the guy you're citing, though, Jim Tolucas, he is that old-fashioned absolute technical expert
1: he is a technical expert yes so and and so i think the two skills now if you could only pick one so if i had to like you know strip it all down there's sales let's call it that there's the strategy part of it or the technical aspect and then there's the fulfillment which that part can be done by many many people sales and marketing is still the superpower you're great at marketing people don't know that you're marketing when you're on twitter and you're getting people to argue with you and the people that are arguing with you are not going to be your customers but the people watching it go I'm going to reach out to that Ron guy. I want to see what this happens to you all the time, I'm sure. And so you're doing marketing that people don't even know, that they don't even understand it. They're just watching it going, he's just, no, no, it's marketing. And so I think the marketers for sure will rule the world in terms of like, if you can be good at that, you'll always have a job and a career, whatever you're selling mortgages or whatever the next thing is. I personally like our model, the way it's designed, at least currently, I'm not saying that we would never change it, but currently where we're at in the growth of our businesses is saying, okay, let's find people that are, I can coach on the sales and marketing piece, that part I'm good at strategy we got some people that can help you but hopefully if you've been doing this for a while you understand some technical aspects of the mortgage then the last piece would be the fulfillment which i think for most people is the lowest dollar activity that they could be doing and probably one of the first things they should offload if you can
0: yeah in, in response to your question about fulfillment we have an entire fulfillment department okay that, that's all they do 24 7 literally 24 7 they do it on the weekend sometimes right okay? like they well they do they do sleep right you let but,
1: them yeah
0: they are allowed to sleep
1: but i saw them back there. there's like bunk beds and they're like you're like get back to work and you're yelling
0: at them when you're walking me through your office so it makes me think of an extremely odd experience that happened last week a friend of mine veronica love she's tmg she was putting on a talk at a all women meeting women and marches and it's a really successful operation veronica's a great successful person and she brought up my name she said you can't be afraid to reach out. You can't be afraid to talk to people who can give you information and give you answers to your questions and mm-hmm. put you in the direction. She says, I even reached out to Ron Butler. Okay? Right. <laughs> so the implication was the most scary, rotten son of a bitch in the whole mortgage industry. I reached out to him and he said yeah, you know, nobody reaches out to me. Yet. Right. Which Veronica maybe didn't know that was planned. That was part of being a mean son of a bitch was that people don't bother you. Yeah. But she did. And she was kind enough to say, you can reach out to anybody, anybody. I just thought it was funny that, you know, the poster boy for worst son of a bitch was me. Right. So, but you can still reach you've out. Cu- you've All cultivated
1: right. that over the years, much to your credit. Like, I think you're a very smart marketer that people are underestimate in terms of I think when they look at your business, I think, you know, you buy leads, which you do, you do which advertising, we do, which we do, yeah. But they don't understand that there's a personal brand behind it, which is something that some of your competitors have a hard time. Like they can't do that. Like some of the big, you know, we know some of the guys at some of these other companies and and they're tend to be advertising their brand. They're not advertising a personality. And people will get attracted to a personality. A brand, sure, but like there's something about even though they're not talking to you, even though I'm sure that when these people come in, these leads, they're not getting Ron Butler on the phone, but they're yeah. getting Ron Butler's people and they're okay with that.
0: So Dan Eisner He's a friend of mine. I'm, I'm proud to say he's a friend. He's a good guy. He's been one of the originals. He's an OG guy too, original, you know, direct consumer marketer. And he was kind enough in a presentation he put on to mention me, in a conversation he put on a few Group and he pointed out much like you just said, he was pointing out things like this is how Butler does it. And he actually gets more leads from that than some of these people who are advertising the hell. Obviously, his operation True North gets far more leads than we do. Mm-hmm. It's a much bigger operation. Same with Ray Hub, but he points out that compared with some of these others, he actually gets more leads mm-hmm. off of his. Now, Dan was also being a completely professional businessman, also pointed out that thing is butler's old and fat and he will be dead someday. So that's the downside of his marketing. You do market a personality. Yes, personality. He didn't say old and fat. He's a much better guy than that. But he did point out that, hey, he's going to be dead. And that's the downside of this. Of the personality. You, yeah, the problem with personality branding is that once that person's out of the picture, so goes the marketing that right. goes as well. So I'm not in it. You know, I'm in it. I got to keep doing it. But yeah, there's a limitation to it. It's true.
1: You know what I think about is like in Vegas, you've got like, Celine Dion, who's a, like a personality, and so she makes a ton of money when she does her shows. And then you got the Blue Man Group. Well, the Blue Man Group, you can swap people. You don't swap even know men. who they are. Yep. Swap. So if you think about, like, they're blue. Look, they're just blue men. They're, man. Just, they're blue. Know, and you're it. like, okay, they, I think they, some they, of them are women now too. I don't even know. Now. So like, reality is that that's a business that those guys can step out of, and it can still be running shows in Vegas. Where as soon as Celine Dion stops. That's it. And so I just compared you to Celine Dion. How do you feel about that?
0: <laughs> <You're> well, like- <laughs> well, seeing as Celine Dion is near death right now, I mean, like, yeah, unfortunately, she's got very, very ill. But yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. And so there's a difference. I don't mind being compared to Celine Dion. I actually went to that show in Vegas when she had a residency there years ago, went there with Sharon, and I thought it was the greatest thing to slice bread. So, right. I mean, I sort of not much like Celine Dion. I'm like, Right. Well, that was part of my intention of making an extreme example. <laughs> okay, but but go back to this thought for a minute that we're never gonna have the way the future's unfolding. Okay. Mm-hmm. That the idea of this ultra professional who knew every single thing there is to know about mortgages, which still exists by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're, they're out rare. there. Yeah. Some of them are younger. You know, there's guys who do great work who are in their forties, gals too, lots of great gals doing great work, brilliant work. Yes, they all offload fulfillment. Like nobody chases their own documents and asks, you know, show me how your down payment worked. I mean, that's obviously bad money spent Mm -hmm. when somebody else can do a great job at it. Uh, But they do understand every element of the underwriting. They understand everything that could go wrong. They have an immediate answer if someone says, hey, there's an undischarged mortgage over here. Found out from my lawyer that the previous people didn't discharge the mortgage, so what do I do? And that those people, for this weird, weird technical questions that come up, they have every answer at their fingertips. Okay. So, the end of that person, is it just inevitable? Or is that just the way it's going to change? It's going to turn up that way? Well, I think that yes,
1: but the advantage will be that some of this data that we currently carry around in the heads of some of these very technical people will be easily accessible through tools like uh, whether it's like I've seen recently a chat GPT engine that you could upload your own stuff into and then you just ask it questions and it answers like whether it's regulations and so it's not going to replace a person but I think you'll have a broker who's enhanced with AI and I saw a quote a little while ago which was you're not going to lose your job to AI you're going to lose your job to a person using AI and I'm like I think that it's just it's a better tool if used correctly I think are there tools that can be make you more effective longer but I think you're right. But again, if you had to pick one skill, if there's like if there's one skill as a mortgage broker that you could be good at is mar- sales and marketing, like if you're good at that, the world's your oyster. And it's a universal skill once you get it, because if mortgages became illegal tomorrow, like maybe we're doing crypto. I don't know. I'm, I'm into crypto. But don't I'm do saying, crypto. Don't yeah, do crypt- crypto. Crypto. Yeah, crypto. That's just shit. Yeah, okay, okay. Whatever yeah, the next correct. thing is, I think that the sales and marketing skills and my son, who's always like, he's like, dad, I want to make a lot of money. And I'm like, well, learn sales like I can't teach you he wants to learn how to work on I can't teach you to work on cars like you got to get someone to help you with that but if you want to learn how to do sales and marketing this is something I can help you with and wherever the world goes in the next decade or two somebody's still got to get your attention and convince you that this is there and I still think that that's going to be a valuable skill but I think you're right the highly technical salesperson is going to be thing, probably, of the thing, thing of the, of the past, past I think you're right Hey, thanks again for listening to that conversation with ron keep in mind there's a part two and three that you can check out where we continue on our discussion in this next segment dr jeff hill about the three things every broker needs to know about property insurance hey jeff welcome to ask the experts scott great to be here thanks so much so hey man i know that you're the founder of surex which is an amazing insurance company and you're doing some cool stuff in our industry so welcome we did a show recently people can go check that out what we want to talk about today is three things that you wish brokers knew about when it comes to property insurance that can affect their job. Me as brokers are like, doesn't really matter to us until it does. And then we're like, oh, shoot, I wish I could have stick handled this different. So what are those three things that you would say that would be useful for brokers to pay attention to?
2: The three hiccups that we really run into and really trips people up are age of the home and the curveballs that come with an older property. Second thing would be multiple names on title or multiple names on the mortgage. And the third one would be endorsements and, you know, having client with specific needs that if you are aware of, you can kind of help guide the ship a little bit. Right. Okay. So give me an example of like on age of
1: property, like give me some stuff that would come up or that typically could cause a delay
2: or a problem for insurance. It typically comes down to two things that are pretty standard is with older homes is the plumbing and is the electrical up to code and if it's not you're using you know old school you know paneling or anything like that that's where we can run into issues and so what'll happen is mortgage broker doesn't really care how old the home is they just think okay let's get insurance but if there is like a home with old piping or old electrical panels insurance companies may require inspections We've even seen a couple of times where they will full on require everything to be ripped out and rebuilt up to code before they're comfortable insuring it. And so if you've got a deal that's very last minute on an older property, this is definitely something that could hang it up when an insurance company refuses to insure. Right, yeah. And
1: as you guys know, you can't get the mortgage if you can't get an insurance certificate. So if you have an older property, the sooner you engage somebody like you guys to get this done. So when you say like a plumbing, I've had a property that had poly B to be replaced. Two floods from that stuff. Like it just literally just breaks all of a sudden. Just all of a sudden one day it's like I quit and then start spraying water everywhere. Yeah. Luckily, both floods were covered by insurance. But then now we have a rider on one property that's like, if it's another poly B, you the minimum amount I have to pay is way bigger. It's like my uh, damage deposit or whatever they call it. I don't know what they call that, but your premiums, yeah. Premiums, my premiums yeah. way higher. My premiums yeah. higher, but also like in order for them to engage, I've got to write a big check just to get them to show up because they're like, hey. But I've replaced, I think, 99% of it. So, so that would be one example. What other kind of things when we talk about that that you've seen that come up?
2: It really has to do with things like age of the roof. You know, that's another big one that we ask in our question set. And people are like, why are you asking that? But I'm like, if it's a 30-year-old you know, year old roof that's never been replaced, obviously that is a risk point. And so anything where, you know, a lack of maintenance or a lack of upkeep could result in you know, potential risk is something as a mortgage broker you'd want to be aware of. And again, it's usually not the end of the world. The problem is if you leave it to the last minute and then there's hiccups and the insurance company says we need X, Y, Z in order to insure the property, that's where it can jam me up. So it's just something and, to be aware of. You don't care about it till it happens and you're like, dang it. I, you know. And as
1: you as the broker, the more educated and informed you are, you can guide the client. So you said age... Second one was names. So how does multiple names affect like anything with insurance?
2: Again, this is something we ran into just a couple of weeks ago. We had a broker who submitted a lead to us and everything was going good. And, you know, they weren't super urgent to get something done. They were like, oh yeah, I got a couple of weeks to spare. And then we found out there was multiple names on title. And so when there's multiple names on title or co-applicants on the mortgage, some insurance carriers will want to make sure those names are on the policy. And so it's not a big deal. Like, it's not hard to add additional names to a policy. But again, this is an issue where that wasn't disclosed early on in the process. They're coming up on the due date where we need everything to get done. And all of a sudden, we have to resubmit applications. And we're getting information on co-signers and all the rest of that stuff. And again, it would have been easily avoided had the client been a little more upfront with our advisor. And that's just, again, something- Just a learning point. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, what if they've co-signed but they're not on title so do they typically need to be on the insurance or is it just if they're on title that he does sometimes be on the insurance
2: It depends on the carrier and so different carriers kind of have different rules and that's where it gets challenging with surex is we have 12 carriers and they all have little different rules so depending on who you get selected with and who we can find a good rate with that'll determine that but more often than not the insurance companies will want everybody that's on the mortgage application on the title, and therefore on the insurance policy. Right. So in general,
1: then just assume that that's something that needs to be, make sure you disclose it. So you talked about age, we talked about names. So endorsements, I think you called it, and I'm thinking like a Nike endorsement where somebody pays me a bunch of money to wear their swag, but that's not what we're talking about insurance. It's more to do with like, so they've got some extra stuff they need covered. So give me some examples of things that may come up. And again, this can cause delays
2: because is it underwritten differently? Like if I've got like a bunch of you know classic cars or something, or how does that work? Exactly. So this would be any client that's got something different about them. I've got a good buddy of mine, he's a dentist, and he's got $100,000 in sports cards. You know, And so he's got a massive sports card collection. So something like that, classic cars, jewelry, art, anything, even like one of those $25,000 swim spas, if they have anything that's kind of outside the norm, that's something they'll want to disclose to us when they're getting their policy. Because Home insurance is kind of like a blanket. And so they say, hey, we'll give you $5,000 for jewelry or we'll give you $2,000 for art. And that's kind of baked into every policy. But if you have collections or, or needs that are exceed that, you want to make sure that our brokers are aware so that we can give you the proper coverages. Something like sports cards, if your house burnt down, you might get $2,000 worth of coverage, even if you have a $100,000 collection. So you want to make sure you're disclosing that. So, what?
1: Okay. You may not know this off the top of your head but like so if i had a hundred thousand dollar like you know card collection are they like pokemon or what kind of cards are they
2: like they sports cards he's got oh, like yeah know basketball football like, hockey it, whatever yeah. he's
1: into but so
2: like what would something like that add to the cost of your insurance you oh know? great question i wouldn't know the answer to that off the top of my head and it's gonna vary from carrier to carrier and it also i mean Everything is built into an algorithm now when it comes to pricing. So, you know, if you had a hundred thousand dollar card collection in a bad neighborhood, that potentially would cost you more to insure than someone that's in a very, you know, North Van If Miami you have a
1: hundred thousand dollar card collection,
2: you're probably not in a bad neighborhood. Probably not. No, yeah, probably okay. not. Unless you stole them unless getting... you acquired them some other way. Oh, okay. yeah. 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 So I'm not trying so to... it does vary, but yeah, I'm not trying to can... neighborhood chain here. Just no, you know, no. Just... Everywhere in Canada is beautiful. So. Yeah.
1: Totally. Okay, so any last kind of thoughts that people, you know, if you were talking to a mortgage broker right now, and they want to make sure that they can point their client, we're not saying that you guys listen, this need to become insurance brokers, that's not your business. But what you do need is anytime you hand your client off, and there's part of the process, they need to complete the mortgage, you need to have some understanding of it so that you can
2: avoid, like you want the process to go as smooth as possible. So any last kind of thoughts or comments? Absolutely. Like, obviously, that's one of the challenges that we face as mortgage brokers are like, do I really want to send my client to a third party? They're going to mess something up or, you know, that's a concern that a lot of brokers have. So we obviously go above and beyond to make sure that we get a policy that fits for the client and we do it in the easiest way possible. But number one consistent challenge we always see when we come up against something is it was just submitted too late. You know, you just kind of took this step for granted and said, hey, at the end of the day, it's just insurance. It's easy to get. It's usually if you would have submitted that application two, three weeks earlier, you would have been fine. So if you have an older property, if there's anything funky about the property, time's your friend. The earlier you get the ball rolling from the insurance side of thing, the better off you're going to be. That way, you don't come up with any surprises as you get close to closing.
1: Right. Yeah. And create all kinds of stress. So if people are listening to this, a couple of ways you guys can connect with Surex. And you guys, you say you got 12 carriers. You guys, pricing-wise... You know, you're like the Ron Butler of the insurance business, and maybe that's not the right analogy, but in any case, you're embedded right into FileLogic so people can click a button, get access to you guys. Finmo is coming very soon. It's already rolled out to a few offices, but depending on when you listen to this, you'll be able to go into Finmo, click a button, and get the insurance set up. And especially if it's an older property, the sooner in the process, just get it done, like another box checked off. And then also, finally, they can go to your website, surex.com.
2: Yes. So if you're, for example, a broker that's on Velocity or another platform that we are not on, and this is interesting to you, you've been lacking an insurance partner. We actually have an affiliate platform that we utilize. So you can onboard with us, and you would get a coded UTM affiliate link that when you share that with your client, you would still obviously be able to track that and compensate it and everything else that comes along with the platform. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you, get in touch with our team and we'll happily get you set up. And we have a number of users who don't use Finmo, don't use FileLogix, but are leveraging SureX to help their clients. Right, awesome, man.
1: Well, hey, thanks Jeff for chatting with me and we'll be seeing the next show. Thanks Scott, appreciate it. Hey, thanks again for listening to this. And if you're a mortgage broker and want to improve your business, go to islandmortgagebrokering.com, check out the power search tool that we built there. You can literally keyword search all of our past episodes. You can search Ron Butler's name. He's hilarious. Go check out his podcast if you haven't already. I know that it's already getting a really good response in the, for mortgage brokers as well as people outside of the industry. And if you're interested in finding out what we're doing at Bricks, go to YBRX.com. We have a page that you can check out to find out more about what we're doing. Thanks again for listening to the show, and I'll see you on the next episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.